As any parent of teenagers knows, it takes a lot of support and effort to guide them through to adulthood. Imagine a young person out on their own, perhaps having aged out of foster care or otherwise experiencing homelessness. Austin nonprofit LifeWorks is dedicated to meeting the immediate, temporary, and long-term needs of these youth and young adults. CEO and Executive Director Susan McDowell talks with the head of Family Office Services at Sinacera Capital, Connie Sullivan, about the group's mission, the tremendous success it has achieved over the years, and the challenges ahead. Susan, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you about LifeWorks. To, to get started, I thought it would be helpful if you just give us a very brief overview of LifeWorks. Oh, my pleasure, Connie. And thank you. Thank you for having me on today. It's, it's an enjoyment and an honor. LifeWorks is an organization that is fearlessly dedicated to helping youth and families who are on their pathway to self-sufficiency. The youth that we serve are, you know, typically youth between 16 and 24 years of age. Many of them have experienced homelessness, foster care, juvenile justice, or otherwise long-term exposure to trauma and transitions. And so they're at, you're kind of a fork in the road. It's either somebody is going to stand up and really see them in terms of what they what they need and what their potential is and provide opportunity. Or, and we, we, we kind of know this, and we're going to talk about data today, but, you know, we know from the data that doesn't happen at a young adult uh, stage of life, then the chances are pretty high that they may struggle and may struggle for the rest of their lives. So it's really important that we have adults who are fearlessly dedicated to youth, and then we have the right kind of opportunities. And at LifeWorks, we support more than 3,000 youth and families annually through housing services, mental health services, and uh, workforce and education. And the organization's been around a long time. Could you give us a little bit of your background? It has. So we have this kind of crazy history. We were a four-way merger in 1998, four organizations coming together because we knew that operating together, we could provide a whole continuum of support services to meet the needs of whole individuals and whole families. But prior to that, the oldest of the four organizations actually went back to uh, to 1910. So we have this like crazy long history in Austin that has a more than a century of track record to paying attention to what's going on in the community and every now and then kind of reinventing or tweaking ourselves. So we're sure we are providing what the families in our community really need to be successful. Well, you know, that's the very thing that attracted my husband and I to LifeWorks in the first place. And Susan, I guess we've known each other about 10 years because we've been been supporters of LifeWorks for at least that long. But what really impressed us was your devotion and dedication to being Mm data-driven and results-oriented. And I recall a time a few years ago, many more than that, when you talked about the fact that LifeWorks had been focused very heavily on counseling and career development Mm -hmm. and less so on housing until the data told you that housing was the number one thing and and the entire organization pivoted to do that. So I'd love to hear more about that and also about your whole data-driven approach. 
Absolutely. And I love that you used the words uh, passion and devotion uh, alongside data-driven, because that's the that's kind of the dichotomy of the LifeWorks approach in our culture. We are, by nature, we do this work because we, we care so deeply about this community and we just absolutely love our, our youth. And at the same time, we feel a deep responsibility to to these just amazing, uh, amazing young people who trust us to help make their lives better and create opportunity for them. So if what we're offering is not engaging to them, or it's not helping them get where they want to go, then, you know, we're the grown adults in the room. It is incumbent on us to, to change and to change quickly, because if we are not making an impact then, uh, then, uh, then that needs to change, right? So our our journey with data start. You know, we've always collected uh, data, but about ten years ago, we decided to align the entire organization. Um, measuring, just quantitatively, qualitatively measuring individuals' progress towards self-sufficiency across all 20 LifeWorks programs. And so this meant that we had to find, and we did find, a real comprehensive matrix to help us measure you know, many markers, actually 21 markers of self-sufficiency, everything from housing stability to family connections to the health of your credit and employment, your support structure, all of those little things that, that can combine and support, you know, an ultimate journey towards, uh, towards self-reliance. And the thing with being on a data journey is that sometimes you, you know, get some curiosities and you run some reports and you're like, wow, that is great news. Look at the impact that we're having. And then some days you look at it. And I should mention one of our core values as an organization is humility, right? Some days you look at it and you're like, whoa, that's not actually what, what I thought. And so what can we, how can we be curious about not having as much of an impact in that area as, uh, as we thought? And our first journey with that was in our workforce program. And this was maybe a year after we started comprehensively measuring data and we changed and changed pretty quickly on a dime the way that we provide workforce services and saw an immediate impact that persists to uh, to this day. Similarly with housing, you know, we were seeing great progress in workforce, great progress in uh, in mental health, and not not progress with the housing sustainability that we'd hoped. In fact, if you'd asked me five years ago, you know, what what do you, what are you great at? And what is it that you, uh, what keeps you up at night? I would have told you, you know, I think we are, we are dynamite at engaging youth in experiencing homelessness and getting them into shelter and getting them into housing. But what kept me up at night was the problem was not getting smaller. It was getting larger. So that's, uh, so, you know, we, we ran, you know, all kinds of data around who do we know is coming into the system? What are the exits to the system? What are the best approaches we can take? And we not only pivoted within LifeWorks, but we helped create what is now a community-wide movement focused on kind of systematically ending youth homelessness by making it rare, brief, and non-recurring. And that has been a tremendous journey with a tremendous impact and a lot to a lot left to do. Since October 2018, when we kind of launched the movement, we have permanently housed, we are just shy of 1,000 youth from literal homelessness 
all the way to permanent housing. And we've done so with an 80% success rate. That's amazing. You know, though, I know it is, it is stunning success, but, and this is the important part for, for a nonprofit though, along the way we have, we have measured everything. So we know what we've done well, we know where things have run into trouble and we've needed to, uh, to make pivots and changes and tweaks in our model and further engagement of mental health services or a different approach to workforce all of those things, you know, you have to be a learning organizations, that curiosity and the attention to data and the attention to the, the experience and the voice of the young people that we're serving, because they, uh, they can help us interpret the data. It's, we just have to ask. And so we do. There's, okay, there's so much I'd like to unpack in what you just talked <laughs> about. But I do love that you use the words curiosity and humility, because those are two things that a lot of times we've, we fall victim to the opposite and just, you know, wanting to find the data that, that supports and celebrates, and we just shut out those things that are contrary. So that's, that's really fantastic. There are so many stories uh, from the young people, and I know that you've incorporated a lot of your former clients and current clients into the LifeWorks programming. We've, I've met some of them along the way who are just amazing. As you said, the, the, their perspective and their experiences provide such impactful sharing. Do you have any particular stories about the, the work, the housing and this challenge yeah. of moving toward Absolutely. Uh, I've recently uh, gotten to know a young woman who uh, who we've housed during COVID during the last couple of years, and she has a very young son. But at the time that we met her, she was pregnant and working uh, working at Walmart. And her, uh, gosh, somebody I don't know if it was a customer who. Uh, who saw uh, and kind of got wind that she was sleeping in her car, but the that person happened to be a current LifeWorks client and approached her and said, "Hey, if this is your situation. I, uh, I, you know, call these folks. They'll they'll help you out. They helped me out." And I think she didn't call us for a while. She just didn't quite believe it or trusted it. It sounded a little too maybe a little too uh, too good to be true. But she uh, she finally did reach out to us, and we went through a quick assessment process. Uh, process, which we do kind of in collaboration with the community. So we can be really clear on who's serving who and who's prioritized and all of that. Well, you know, a young woman pregnant, sleeping in her car is is pretty highly prioritized for housing. So we assigned her a case manager who she's still very close to. And, uh, and she ended up in housing in just a matter of, of weeks. And one of the things that she points to now with so much pride is that her son never had to sleep in a car, that that is something that will never be part of his life experience because we, uh, we were able to, to find housing before she, she gave birth. Also shared that she is uh, as a participant, uh, so she's a participant in our housing program. And through that, not only does she get some support with the housing, we helped her find an apartment, but she has a, a case manager who's helping her piece together the whole self-sufficiency puzzle. You know, how are we, we going to access school? You know, how is employment working 
out. And so through that, she's gotten involved in our workforce program and has uh, now she's now a certified uh, phlebotomist and employed. And when she she graduated from her certification program, all of a sudden, you know, she's in this kind of like bidding war for her services, right? Because it's a very high demand profession. So, you know, again, going from sleeping in your car, pregnant, so worried, right? To, hey, I have got all of these options for employment. And she can now see a pathway to becoming a, a registered nurse, right? So that housing piece is so important just to get the stability to be able to to commit to an educational track, commit to or almost neurologically just able to think long term. So, you know, she's living a life towards potential now, not one just, you know, in fear of even where she's sleeping and her immediate safety. So she's just she's just dynamite. She just she may be running the place one day. That's a wonderful success story. How do youth typically find you or how do you typically find them? We have, so we've been around a long time doing, even prior to our 98 merger, we started a straight outreach program, which I think back in 1990 consisted of a pickup truck with a whole bunch of peanut butter sandwiches in the, uh, in the bed and a curiosity around what, what's going on around the university area and do the youth who are hanging out there need some support. And for many, many years, we operated a street outreach program uh, in the university area, and then we moved it to a uh, to a site in East Austin, but we do active outreach all week to to areas where we know youth may be uh, congregating or camping. Because of our our history, though, with um, with working with youth experiencing homelessness, we get a lot of youth who who refer other youth to us, or even physically bring youth to us. The first time, you know, prior to the merger that I ever visited our street outreach center, I frankly I was lost. I didn't quite know how to get to the back entrance of uh, St. Austin's Church, where where it was, and I just asked a, a youth, and you know, a whole group of them took me back. You know, so there's there's that level of kind of ownership of it. We really try to be part of the community, providing resources they need. So when they're ready to get off the street, and most of them are very ready to get off the street, they're going to trust us to help them on that journey rather than making decisions that that may or may not be safe for them. Oh, I can imagine that. Well, Austin, like many cities, is struggling with homelessness Mm -hmm. in general. And I've heard you speak about the need to look at youth homelessness very differently from adult homelessness and to treat and provide services that are different. That makes, that makes common sense to me. But let's talk a little bit about housing, because yeah. here we are in probably the hottest real estate market in the U.S., and you are always looking for opportunities for both temporary and permanent shelter mm-hmm. for these young people. So what does that look like right now? Right. Well, you know, there are challenges for sure right now with that. Uh, Having housed, uh, you know, a thousand youth in a very short period of time, we're definitely seeing a uh, slowdown in availability of, of housing options that are affordable and sustainable for youth, because our support is going to be temporary. And while we are supporting youth with helping with, with some portion of their rent, we're also working to increase their income so then they can take those leases over. But that's a that's a challenge for any youth in that age range. So simultaneously developing the the skills to to live with uh, to live with roommates, to maybe reunite with families if that's where that's where their uh, their track is taking. 
but we work collaboratively with a lot of property owners in town to just create, you know, just some availability in existing complexes. And that's a model that we're using, hey, gosh, for more than 200 youth tonight, as a matter of fact. And on top of that, we own and operate two small apartment complexes on our, on our own property and are moving forward pretty aggressively with development of, uh, of more. Because in addition to just having the housing, the need for, for youth to have the wraparound support services is enormous. I have a young adult son myself. And so, you know, I am tangibly aware of what, you know, what youth in any circumstance need with the first department. What does a dripping faucet mean? Oh, okay. It means we get on it now. Not we're going to be scared that we've done something wrong and let the, uh, let the damage build, right? So that kind of a hands-on wraparound to really help them understand what they need to learn at this point, but also for our youth, because so many of them have experienced complex trauma and systems that didn't really work for them. It's also a, it's also a time of healing. So engaging in our mental health services with a counselor, a peer support specialist, maybe even, uh, even psychiatry or group support. So, you know, so we begin to kind of heal the, the impact of, of some of what they've, uh, they've gone through so they can absolutely incorporate it as part of what they've experienced, but it doesn't define who, who they become in life or how, how all of us are around them regard them. And that I see that, uh, I see that journey happening and uh, it's pretty amazing to, you know, it's, I've done this long enough to where I run into uh, folks who have been touched by LifeWorks pretty, pretty regularly. And I particularly like when I meet uh, somebody who, you know, is in their thirties or forties and I'm like, oh my God, you're, you're middle-aged now. Right. <laughs> and it's just, it's an experience that happened to them. It's not who they are and it doesn't define their lives. And that, that, you know, to me is the, the ultimate success. There's so much grace in that. It's a, it's it's really a beautiful thing and it's so basic to the human experience to have that opportunity. Everyone should have that opportunity to live in a safe place and to have their you know their histories respected and, and treated as needed. You I were talking a little bit about development. So oh. I want to shift a little bit and talk about that. Um, LifeWorks has a big budget, and some of that comes from government funding and so forth, but quite a bit comes from public from philanthropy. Part of my role at Sera Capital with Family Office Services is working with our families on their philanthropy strategies, sometimes setting up something as simple as a donor-advised fund, but looking at um, goals for their philanthropy and, and looking at different, different nonprofits and how that might fit it. But I'm particularly interested in the younger, the millennials and so forth, who really seem to be taking a very different approach to philanthropy than their parents did. And in this town, I think I would argue that just about anyone in the technology industry, regardless of chronological age, fits into that new philanthropist model. So how does LifeWorks approach the new philanthropist? What how do you approach them in terms of what they're looking for and what you can offer to them? That that is a fantastic question because I think we've got a we've got a very unique philanthropic culture in Austin. I think because of the tech, 
the uh, the new generational wealth. And uh, my answer to that, it, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about really developing yourself as a curious learning organization with a focus on data. Because what I have, what I've experienced with this uh, this generation of donors is they want to understand and they question. I think, you know, we come from a, a legacy of this idea that nonprofits, you know, we, we have all the answers, right? And so, you know, I'm just going to give money and they're going to solve something. And this generation of uh, a philanthropist is much more curious. And I think that's a very healthy thing. I think it pushes nonprofits in a very healthy way to, to curiosity and to asking questions that frankly, they, you know, they, we might not uh, normally ask, but along the way, it opens the door for a level of, uh, of engagement with philanthropists that I don't think we saw 20 or 30 years ago. You know, our boards of directors are, you know, many of us have advisory councils that are all asking, I think, really just smart questions around how we, how we operate our organizations, the effectiveness of our program, how, uh, how we engage clients. And that has uh, that that level of engagement typically precedes the the financial gift, and that's that's not a bad thing because it is it's just a way to develop a mutual relationship of learning that is again focused on a common purpose and assures the donors that uh, they are investing in solutions that you know even if they're not absolutely certain solutions are based on credible credible hypotheses and credible data and as a learning partner you'll you'll travel the journey together with that rather than rather than a more transactional approach of donating and kind of hoping that it, that it works out and we're seeing that those uh, relationships become long term and uh, become very 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 deep and loyal because it's uh, you know you're just you're kind of in it together that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I what I see is we used to have people that were really concerned about putting their name on a building or a wing yeah. of a building or buying a table at a gala. And you're right. Now um, people are looking for direct engagement with data and answers to questions. And that does, you know, it it just makes a lot of sense. People want to be part of effective solutions and to be assured that they're what they're investing is ineffective. They want to they want to be involved more than uh, more than a number of years ago, and I think that pushes the nonprofit sector in a very a very healthy direction. It does. It's it's a delicate area because your your clients have privacy issues. But are there ways that that donors get involved with the organization? Oh, with us, absolutely. So we have a, a range of options, including, like I said, we're, you know, we move a lot of youth into housing, right? And they don't have anything. So we have kind of an apartment, what we refer to as kind of a, an apartment adoption program. The, the Connie, I think you've been involved in Home Improvement Challenge, where, you know, our, uh, our call to action is, you know, we're providing a house, we need to make it a home now through kind of furniture, decoration, you know, stock the fridge and the kitchen for the uh, for the first period of time. And that's a, that is an ongoing need. So our website has, you know, kind of a list of kind of household supplies and kits that we need for just move in, uh, move in kits for, for individuals. And we also, you know, about, 40% of youth in our housing programs right now are actually parents themselves. And so we also 
do a lot of kind of group drives around uh, that you can, you know, organize with your family, your church, your business to uh, to help support, you know, new moms and dads with the supplies that that they need to uh, to be successful. We also do a fair amount of life skills training and career preparation. So we're always looking for speakers. It's all virtual right now, but speakers to uh, talk about, you know, what they do for a living or provide some coaching and advice on things like resume uh, preparation and interview skills. So those are those are some of the uh, kind of direct ways to uh, to get involved in the organization. And of course, we're always looking for uh, ambassadors for our, for our mission to help us spread the word. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm certainly delighted to be one of your ambassadors because I've been a huge fan of LifeWorks for a long time. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk about it today, Susan. Thank you so much for sharing and um, coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Connie, how can listeners reach you? To learn more about LifeWorks, go to www.lifeworksaustin.org. And as always, to learn about Sinacera Capital, www.sinecerracapital.com. And follow this podcast to get the latest episodes and, of course, share with family and friends. Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.sinaceracapital.com. Sinacera Capital is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sinacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. All information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability, or completeness of, or liability for, decisions based on such information, and it should not be relied on as such. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur.